Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First, it's free. How much better does it get? Second, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever your audience is tuning in, your podcast will be there. Fourth, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Look at us. We have less than 100 listeners per episode, yet we still make money on ads. Granted, it's not a lot, but we still make money. And finally, it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. That's anchor, the thing you throw off your boat, .fm to get started. Welcome into another edition of the JMU Sports News Podcast. Jack, Aaron Stinney will be starting an NFL playoff game for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this weekend, and he's the first Duke to start an NFL playoff game since maybe about 17 people, because we've been a little bit wrong on the Twitter.com. I scrolled through um, the media guide, the JMU Football Media Guide, looking for who's played in the NFL and then trying to pair it up with their playoff appearances. Went through that thing three times, and I could, my last thing I could find was Charles Haley and Gary Clark both did it in 1995. Apparently, Ed Perry, a tight end for the Dolphins, not apparently, he did do it. Um, <laughs> Ed Perry, a tight end. Reportedly. <laughs> start, um, this is exactly what happened with Stinney. Didn't start all season, didn't start their wild card game, and then starting their divisional round game. And then Akeem Jordan apparently started in like 2001. I'm going to look that up now. Yeah. Um, do you have him up? I'm pulling it up as we speak. Yeah, so apparently yeah, he started at sort of the, the will. That's crazy. Uh, he's <laughs> Was it kind of like a weird defense, like offensive set that forced a weird defensive? He never started. He started seven. I guess it was, what year is it? Oh, 2008. He started, it was pretty recent. He started. It was a 2009. 2009, he started. This is unclear. He didn't start in the playoffs in 2009. No, you're right. It was 2008. He linked us the wrong game. No, but it says he started on that game. Oh, it's a 2008 season. Okay. So 2008 season, but in January of 2009. He started all three playoff games for the Eagles. Yep. So I stand corrected. Aaron's, but it's still pretty impressive that Aaronson is the first Duke to start since Akeem Jordan in 2008. Not as cool as 1995 with Charles Haley and Gary yes. Clark, but whatever. I mean, it's fine. I we were people digging through the archives pretty good. Yeah, that was... They're like, we checked it pretty rigorously, I thought. I, w- I felt confident that it was at least close. Yeah, I was... D- Doug Lee, who responded to us with the Ed Perry and Akeem Jordan... He just said, it's lucky that I even knew Ed Perry. I just knew that from memory. And like yeah. in 1999, and I was two years old. 
he did a more thorough fact check, it appears, on the Akeem Jordan as well. I was going through the pro football reference. Some of it is I don't know the names to look up. Like, if you don't know the name to look up, it's a little more challenging. So we were looking up more recent dudes who didn't start. Um, but, yeah, still very cool for Aaron Stiddy to protect the GOAT Tom Brady this weekend. I forget if they were Saturday or Sunday, whenever they play. But good for them. I think they're going up against the Saints. So it'll, it'll certainly be a test for Stinney. And who else is still left? Moreland lost, but you've got the Bills with Dean Marlowe. He only played one half, I think, against um, uh, the Colts. But he's still in there. Uh, Josh Wells, I think, is also on the Buccaneers, if I'm not mistaken. I think it's Stinney and Wells on the Bucks. So the Bucks hang around. And I feel like that's – I don't think I'm missing anyone else because Raven Green's out for the postseason, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. I miss what Very exciting on, on the NFL front. No, it's just going through the guys left. I think it's, what is it, Marlo Wells and, and Stinney, is that it? And technically Raven Green. I want to say there's another guy on the box. It's Wells, isn't it? They have three? I think it's just the two. They had ish. That's right, they had ish. Okay. Okay, it's hard to keep track. Because as we were saying, most of them don't start. So it's a little harder to be like, what's their roster status? Yeah. Um, yeah. So very cool on the football front, even though we are slightly wrong. Thank you, Doug, for correcting us. One of our most engaged Twitter followers, I will say. We've been going back and forth. I have with him about Justin Amati and his usage in the <laughs> offense, which we will get to later because we've had a few conversations with people where we've seen stuff about Justin Amati and his offense. So we'll, we'll get into that. We've also got a little women's basketball talk. It's challenging to talk too much about either program because COVID has impacted either opponents or the actual team or the coaching staff, in this case, for women's basketball. Uh, let's start with them since they haven't played a whole lot. Yeah, they, they, what, the, they put, their last game was the CAA season opener, right? Yep, January 3rd. So they're expecting to play over the weekend from the O'Neill's Grill press conference. O'Regan said his target return date is January 18th, meaning he will not be in attendance at Elon over the weekend for both of those games. So Ashley Langford will step up. She'll be uh, sort of the interim head coach for that or those two games, uh, assuming they're able to actually happen. Uh, so, yeah, I guess <laughs> let's dive in a little bit here to um, the contact tracing. And he explained it a little bit on the O'Neill's press, press conference. But I think both of us were a little confused that the head coach can get it without the team going on a pause. Yeah, I mean, yeah, his reasoning was it was sound. I mean, based on all, like, the, the guidelines that the CDC and, and the NCAA has given, he didn't break any of them, was never in contact with anyone for more than 15 minutes. In the team huddles, he wore his mask, and he traveled. He wasn't on the team bus with them when they would travel. Um, so he, according to all guidelines, like, it's fine for the team to play. It is just very odd that the head coach of the team – like doesn't pause the entire program. Super confusing. And I guess it makes sense with the the guidance. So it's like within six feet of someone for 15 consecutive minutes, I think it is. I think and that's maskless, like how they, right? I think it must be maskless or something like that. Um, but it's, it's kind of confusing and it is what it is, I guess. Yeah. He was saying on the O'Neill's, it sounded like he was saying he goes separately um, to away games. Yeah. He drives, his I guess, with Toyota Camry. I just stole that yeah. joke from Bennett that he told me off there. <laughs> Whatever he's driving. And um, it's it's odd. It's interesting. It's a little confusing to me, to be completely honest with you, especially with some of the coaches. I haven't followed O'Regan that closely, but the mask wearing for most coaches is 
pretty iffy um, in terms of getting it down to, to say stuff to players and, and things like that. I'll have to go back and watch a replay and see if it's as close as people think. But, I mean, if nobody gets it, that's a great sign. It's just – it's tough to, to wrap your head around, I guess, that the head coach can have it and the team can sort of just plow right on through. It's – I do think from what I've seen, like, out of replays and, and, and the few minutes I've caught of action – I think Coach O's a better mask wearer than Mark Byington is. Because um, Byington doesn't wear it for a on single for... minute. <laughs> I don't think it's been under his chin the entire season. Well, you know Which, why that I mean, is? They're all... You know why that is? It's because when you're at the bank, it's like you're it. outside. <laughs> that was the other quote that kind of came out that um, I guess – I didn't hear it in the O'Neill's presser, but I wasn't listening too closely to um, some of O'Regan's part. But, yeah, it was. I think TJ tweeted that they were told that it was like – uh, the, the bank was like being outdoors, which doesn't make any sense to me. I don't. I would love to hear the the science or the logic behind an indoor facility being like outdoors. Uh, maybe it's because it's empty, but even then, I feel like the air. I don't know. I don't know. Don't it's get, don't get to too I'm much little, into it. I'm a little surprised by it, but it, I guess it is what it is. They're technically following the guidelines. Same thing happened uh, to UVA men's basketball where they were without some coaches with contact tracing and multiple assistants but apparently that only took out two players which i didn't understand uh still don't um so i guess it kind of is what it is it's it's sort of a crapshoot at this point they're expected to play elon on saturday and sunday for the first games in two weeks and then coach o is supposed to come back right after that uh we'll see what happens um towson i believe in my opinion is the best second best team in the league i think they're really solid behind jmu so i think even at elon with a, a different coach in charge i don't think it should be a a massive worry yeah elon's kind of been the um doormat of the caa in recent years (laughs) they had that little stretch where they were really killing it and i have not looked at them this year but i think they've they've taken their four and two overall it's not terrible haven't played a conference game yet haven't played a conference game. Delaware is actually the best team in women's basketball right now. It's seven and one. Drexel five and one. I forget the preseason standings. There was a Delaware or Drexel. One of them was expected to be pretty decent. Probably Drexel. In addition, in addition to Jamie. I know Drexel's moving up from the coach, but they've had a pretty good program in recent years. So we'll see what happens with the Elon games. At the end of the day, they're just trying to play as many games as they can, get to the conference tournament, do your best. So interested to see how they do and sort of what it's like without O'Regan and then hopefully they get him back and hopefully there are no more virus issues. Yeah, I think that's about sums it up for women's basketball. They haven't played so hard. Yeah, there's to... really nothing like Reagan got COVID and that's it. And also on the positive side, he has had no symptoms. The um, positive so side? Yes, he's not sick or anything. So the, he has the, the virus. COVID positive side? Yeah, on the COVID positive side. <laughs> No, it's good news that he has not shown any symptoms. He's not like, you know, yeah. very sick or anything like that. So he was doing his O'Neill's press or whatever and was seemed fine virtually. That's so. the weirdest part about it. I, I won't get too much into it, but that's just the weirdest part of it. It's like just so crazy about this whole thing. Super odd, right? <laughs> not to get not to get fine. into the COVID tunnel, but No, but it is crazy because like if they weren't testing frequently, they would have no idea and he would just be coaching. So I guess that's why they test. Anyway, let's switch over to the men's side. Mark Byington's group also kind of struggling to play games, but they had a, a big-time Sunday showdown that I had the, the chance to watch virtually via Flow Sports, and they played Chawan 
And this is a D2 team that when they show up in your building, they're going to stretch the floor. They're going to play hard. They're going to pressure you. JMU finds a way to gut out a 24-point win. They score 100 points. <laughs> Jack, I'm so sick of the non-D1 schools. I don't get it either. Like We were talking about this last night on a FaceTime call with a friend of ours, Dom, who never listens to us, so I don't know why I called out his name. But it's just so weird that there's so many D1 schools that are in the area that, like, you can't make it work with a D1 school. And then secondly, if we're going D2, why don't we just call it Bridgewater or EMU or like an ODAC school that's closer, that's D3? Like, what's Are they all playing? That might be it. I think ODAC might not be playing right now. And then the only thing I can – the thing, the issue, I guess, with D1 is that they're in conference play, so maybe they don't want to get out of conference play where you're trying to, to get a D1 team. But it still feels like, I don't know. I'm well, sure they're, they're trying to exhaust their options, but it's a little bit frustrating. This also was Challenge's um, season opener. Yeah, yeah. But JMU, that's a big win for the program. Um, to be able to take down a, a Challenge team that, you know, they're known for, for competing hard. I think they lost 16 times last season, but golly, were those 16 losses good. Man, they sound you like know, JMU were, fans. Jeez. It's like, <laughs> but the problem with all these like non-D1 games, it's you have no idea what this team is. Like, what are they? Two and four against D1 opponents with wins over yes. Bradford and FAU. FAU is a terrible net ranked school. And then you have wins over Limestone, Alice Lloyd, and Chowan. I mean, they haven't they haven't played anyone, so it's hard to know anything. I didn't think they were particularly impressive, honestly, uh, watching them play. I thought that, and Coach Byington said this that they, they kind of played to the game and the opponent rather than sort of, or played to the opponent rather than playing the game and, and yeah. their game and scored 100 points, but they gave up 76 points. Uh, there are certainly some issues there. 16 offensive rebounds for Juwan, which is a little more than you would like to see. And yeah, they just they struggled at times. Um, they they scored a lot, obviously. The shooting was not not necessarily great from the three point line. Matt Lewis was really good. Everyone else kind of struggled a little bit. He was Matt Lewis six was of eight from three. Out. He was phenomenal. He scored twenty eight points in twenty eight minutes, and he ten of twelve from the floor. So he was he was special. He missed a couple of free throws, but other than that, it was uh, he kind of knew he was the best player in the floor and, and took over and things like that, which is fine. You're playing a D two school. Um, yeah, they're supposed to open conference play at Towson on Saturday at two p.m. They will not do a doubleheader with Towson. They'll actually play them on a midweek game, January 27th, which is a Wednesday back in Harrisonburg. Um, that was where the original series was supposed to be one home, one away. So they're keeping it that way as opposed to just doing the doubleheader. I would almost rather they just play two games at Towson and get them over with. Same. Don't really understand it at all, to be completely honest with you. If you're able to get there, it's. <laughs> and, and the CAA is clearly being having problems with COVID and it's like, they're okay, not we're going to have the conference you, season. Yeah. Like we're going to have you in the arena, but we're not going to let you guys play two games, even though we know there's a strong possibility come January 27th, one of you guys will be on pause. That's what's so frustrating about it. And I think the reason they'd done it originally, we were talking about was um, so that nine conference games would be home and nine would be away. They're not going to play 18 conference games. So the <laughs> idea of like, well, we want to make sure they get a perfect home and away is so dumb. Just play the two games. I hadn't thought about that until now, but whatever. But, it's but they're like, supposed to open think, conference play, so that's a positive. You think they're going to – I feel like they should have just asked the coaches, like, or at least JMU, like Byington, like, do you want to play two games or do you – like, do you want to get two games out of the way or 
CA is a little questionable sometimes. They did <laughs> big time. He was also kind of saying that um, a lot of the times the rescheduling, the teams are just trying to work it out, and the CA will be like, "Yeah, you have our blessing." Not helpful. Not helpful. <laughs> um, <laughs> but whatever. But I think on the bright side, if they can get conference games in, that'll be good. They need reps. They need game reps pretty bad. I mean, what are the odds this Towson game happens? I think it'll happen. You know, what, you know what, I don't know. It feels like a 50-50. Both these teams have, have kind of had issues with the, with everything going on. So, uh, Northeastern game? Excuse my yawning. I don't know why I'm yawning so much. This Northeastern game, <laughs> they started the season one and five. They're now four and zero in conference play, and they're five and five. And I think Northeastern, Northeastern, they are a solid team. I'm a little worried about that series. That's at Northeastern the following weekend, assuming it happens. I just want them to play conference games. I want to see what they're like against CAA teams. And I think Towson's kind of a a weak foe. They can still lose the game for sure. Oh, they're gonna lose the game. I have no, no faith. I have no faith. <laughs> you have no faith, man. They just beat Chaplin by twenty four, and you're not believing. You know who gives That's me faith? Justin Amati. Okay, yeah, we got to get into the Amati takes. So I have my thoughts, but I want to get to you. People, um, including Doug, who we mentioned earlier, have kind of talked about they won't want Amati to shoot the ball more because he's shooting. He's got to be close to 80% now, actually, after this game. Um, at least mid-70s from the floor. Uh, let me see if I can pull it up here. He's shooting 76% <laughs> this well, I mean, season, I would love um, to which see is 20% better than his free throw percentage. I'd love to see his shot. Yes, because <laughs> they're not from far away. But I guess my question to you is like, do you think they should feed him more? Because the most he shot in the game this year is what? Eight times. He's done that twice, two sevens. But he's also had one, two, three games where he shot two or fewer times. I think that seven mark is kind of like the sweet spot for him. Like the reason he has such a high shooting percentage and the reason why like he looks so good when he does take the shots is because the offense, like the way everything moves, it gets to him in a prime opportunity to take the shot. Like he's not knocking down, he's not shooting 76% taking mid-range jumpers. He's shooting 76% from three feet and in type of thing. So like, I wouldn't force him the ball and I wouldn't let the freshman, uh, six, seven freshman against probably like six, 10, six, 11 guys. I prefer him not like, feed him the ball down in the post like we did with Dwight and let him just go to work down there. I think the offense kind of has to have some ball movement on the outside and, and draw some guys in and kind of, you know, the like the, the really nice, like when you're watching a good basketball team, how they can pass the ball around the three-point arc and get a wide open man and have two guys converge on him and that opens up the middle. And then you feed it to Amadi. I think that's that's his, that's where he's going to win. And that's where, that, that's the best opportunities for him. So I don't think they necessarily need to feed him the ball and just get him going. And, and against D1 opponents, they're better down low. Like Justin Amati is a six, seven freshman. Like he'll be good in a year. He'll be good in two years. He's good now. But I also don't want him controlling the ball for four seconds of the shot clock, trying to do work down in the post. Cause that's not his game. Yeah, it's, it's interesting with him because I don't think he's someone that necessarily can create his own shot right now that that well down low. Yeah. A lot of what he gets is like you'll see a fast break opportunity or somebody cuts um, and draws help defense and he's open and they give it yeah. to him and he dunks or he makes a layup. He did have one, I think it might have been against Florida Atlantic, where they did, they gave him a post opportunity, made a move and he quickly scored. And I was like, okay, 
I do think though they had some success against Chowing where they did um to walk whatever it is. Uh, they did um, some pick and roll stuff with him where he would set the screen and roll to the rim. It was pretty effective. So I think that's an area they could do it. Um, I would like to see them continue to like get him involved in that way. But the main thing for me is like, I don't, I don't think he's going to be your go-to scorer, especially right now with Matt Lewis and, and Vado Morse on the outside. I don't think that makes a ton of sense, but I think for him, the improvement's going to need to be fouling less than the defensive end. Um, had a few times this year, the Radford game is one example. He had four fouls in 14 minutes. He had four fouls in 25 minutes against East Carolina. He had three fouls in 16 minutes against Chowan, Chowan, whatever. <laughs> Forgetting. But, I mean, he had a bunch of fouls there. I want to see more rebounds from him. He's averaging 4.4 per game. Again, he's not playing a ton of minutes right now, about 20 a game. But I think you could get more out of him rebounding and fewer fouls on the defensive end. That's kind of what I want to see rather than, like, Let's give this guy the ball every time down because I don't think that's the best offense. Yeah. I, I, I didn't notice the pick and roll, but that'd be great. Like a, a high pick and roll for him. And he's so fa- like, he's going to be faster than most of the big men he's up against. Cause what he's playing the five and in the CAA, you you don't have like great five men. And we brought that up with why we thought Joel Mensa was going to be the best five in the CAA, but we were sadly mistaken. But I think yeah. Justin Amadi needs to learn how to use his undersize to his advantage. So a high pick and roll, and then you're quick off of it. You're going to beat the big man on the other side, and you can get to the rim with little to no kind of interference. Um, yeah. But I think rebounding is what's, what, what, what would keep him on the floor and give him more opportunities. Because um, if, you're, if you're the five and you're only averaging, what, four rebounds a game, that's, that's terrible. Like you need to be averaging six or seven. And if he's pulling down those extra two or three rebounds a game, I think he's going to be getting 28 minutes a game to 30 minutes a game. But then when he does get more minutes, he tends to, to rebound a little better. Some of it too, is the, the fouls is you got to be able to be on the court. You got to be able to, to avoid those. He played 34 minutes against Morgan state and came down 10 rebounds. Um, And he only committed a foul in that game. It was a loss, but he was able to, to kind of do some nice things there. So it's interesting to see, I think the pick and roll makes sense. I also just like the idea of Matt Lewis getting a pick and roll and then coming downhill and sort of attacking <laughs> the basket. Even if he doesn't go to Amadi eventually, I think that has a chance to be an effective action for them over time. But yeah, I'd like to see him get the ball a little more. I'd like to see them try it occasionally where they just throw it to him in the post. I just don't think it's their most effective. And also the more you give him the ball, the more you're like, all right, we want you to score he's not going to shoot 76% if he's like the go-to option on offense. Part of the reason he's shooting 76% is he dunks a million times. Like most of his shots are so close, like you were saying. So he's shooting 76% because he's a good finisher around the rim and he finishes, you know, when he chooses to, he's not asked to sort of do this all the time. Yeah. And he's not like a, he's not the second option on scoring. He's not the third. You could argue he's probably not even the fourth option, like nothing against him as a player. Like he's going to be really great, but I think right now there's, there's, there's other options that are before him that are also better than him in the scoring column. It's really fun to watch him score and he does get his throughout a game. But like you said, I I don't think he should be the number one scoring option or, or the number two scoring option coming down the floor in fast break transition, get him the ball and let him have fun. But when you're playing an offensive set, don't feed him the ball down in the post and let him go to work. Yeah, I think it occasionally it could work, but it's probably not the the long term key yeah. to success for the team. Especially you've got so many scores. You got Matt, you got Morse, 
Julian Wooden right now has been a really effective scorer who can also knock down the three and do some things. I think Christmas when he's when he's playing well as a top scorer. So I, I wouldn't necessarily say that you're going to Amadi over those guys on a consistent basis. Yeah, I mean, Amadi is a great, fun player. But I, I just think right now that's what he is. He's not he's not a um, extreme offensive threat. You look at his stats and you think he would be. But then when you watch a game, you realize not as much. Yeah, it's just hard. I mean, he's a freshman who's 6'7". Like you're saying, you're going up against bigger guys. He doesn't necessarily have this huge arsenal of post moves. But he's a good time finisher. He does have some moves in the post. So certainly a weapon. But I don't think he is... Um, I know some people you see the 76% they're like oh we got to give him the we got to give him an offensive touch every time down the floor I don't know if that's necessarily yeah I mean what he was seven of seven against Florida Atlantic four of seven against Morgan State four of five against Chow like he's he's extremely efficient he's he's gotten eight he's gotten seven shots or more in one two three four five five games this season they've played nine so like He's it's not getting like, his yeah, it's not like they haven't. It's not like they haven't used him on offense. Yeah, right. He's gotten the ball and he's scored. I think he ended up making ten in a row at one point, stretching back from the Florida Atlantic to the the Chihuahua game at least ten in a row. So I mean, I'd he's hope efficient. So. He's getting be. his, but I th- sorry, sorry to interrupt. <laughs> no, I think that's what they should be doing with him. It's like you get on the ball, you get him in close, he tries to score, and he's a good offensive option. And then you've got sort of the guards or your main scores. Yeah. I agree with you, Bennett. It'll be interesting to see what he does in CAA play as well, because I think um, some of his efficiency is they have played, what, a third of their games against non-D1 schools? So it's it certainly, obviously, he's had good games against D1 schools. Um, but, you know, he has also played against Ellis and Lloyd and, and Chawan and Limestone was sort of his breakout game rate at the 16 points. So, And, and I don't mean to kind of poo-poo on the Justin Amati hype train, but the last like gr- good team we played was VCU. He played 21 minutes in that Only game and he had team. two points. He had not two points. He had two field goals. But he made them both. That's where people get excited. Yeah, but seven he points. Could only get two he shots off. Both. But he can only get two shots off up against good, good interior defense defenders. Yeah, it's kind I'm of not hard, hard to CAA's find places to just feed him the ball right now. I have been impressed with his efficiency. I think that the way they're using him right now, I like it. Is kind of what I'm getting at. Yeah, yeah, Like, yeah. I don't think you need to necessarily change anything. Like, he's been good. Keep using this way. And if he stays out of foul trouble, he's going to get more chances just because he hasn't been able to play that much. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and I'd like to see Joel Mensa get 30 minutes a game. I didn't realize he only got five minutes in his two I was so frustrated, down. man. Yeah, he really didn't play much in that game. He had a dunk. But he committed two fouls. He wasn't able to get a rebound. So it was not necessarily the best five minutes I've ever seen. But we'll keep an eye on him and, and the development. And Jalen Hodge is a guard I like. He did some nice things. TJ Taylor played. Yep. Taylor got in the Wyoming transfer, did some nice things too. So they're working some guys back. Terrence Edwards has actually been really impressive. He's growing on me a lot. But freshman on the wing, good rebounder. So I'm excited to see them in conference play. I really am. Yeah, I think this is going to be a fun team in conference play. I think we might lose both against Northeastern because I didn't realize that um, they played Hofstra and they like beat Hofstra 81 78 in overtime and then 67 56. So this is a team. Northeastern's a good team. That's a chance, though. You get through Towson, you go into Northeastern 1 0, and you say, you know what? 
it's our league. We're going to win this thing. You feed Amadi, you feed Mensa, and you just go down low. <laughs> Towson's a winnable game, though. But the other thing, and I can't remember if we talked about this last time, they've gone a really long time since winning two games in a row against Division One teams. So if you beat Towson, it'll be two games in a row against Division One teams and three in a row total. Well, you haven't um, – we didn't talk about it on the podcast. You tweeted it. And yeah. I just need you to just to reiterate it. When was the last time we beat three D1 teams in a, in a row? Was it 2017? <laughs> I think it – yeah, I think – so the last – I'm pretty sure the last – here we go. No, that was a different one. Um, let me find it to make sure that I'm correct like, here. While he's looking. It's just it's, – it's utterly absurd that this team – Yeah. Like there was a couple. Okay. I think two seasons ago, and we opened up the season like four and zero, but it was a games against EMU, Bridgewater, ECU, and yeah, there was maybe it was three and zero. We <laughs> opened was... up, and it was two D three schools. So it's they haven't won consecutive games against <laughs> D one teams. So just two games in a row against D one teams since December of twenty nineteen. So they went through all of twenty twenty and couldn't get it done. And then they haven't won three in a row against Division One teams since it, the streak started in December of 2016 and then finished up in early January of 2017. So we are in 2021. So that was so four been a real, years ago. It's been <laughs> really long. Like that's absurdly horrible. Was that the was that first year of oh oh sorry I swallowed my coffee weird. Was that the first year in a row when they, like, randomly opened up conference play on some wildly hot streak? Yes, I believe that's what it was. So they've they've gone a really long time. Even just consecutive games against Division One teams, not doing that for the entirety of 2020 is abysmal. So they, they could really go for a win against Towson. Bennett's over here just saying, I don't even want three wins. Just give me back-to-back D1 wins. Start with back-to-back. I have my doubts... I have my doubts about them getting three in a row with Northeastern coming up right after Towson. But I have my doubts about getting three in a row at any point this season. That's what's frustrating, man. Is they're not even they're not even close to being relevant. They're not even CA relevant right now, so they gotta get better. Yeah, but but we appreciate them week in and week out. We can We do. We're Flow Sports subscribers, and we consume their content on the daily. <laughs> it's frustrating, though. You know what's really frustrating? The Patriot League is on CBS Sports Network. And the CAA yeah, is on Flow Sports. I love Flow Sports. Get out of here. <laughs> Get out of here. Yeah, it's, it's been rough. It's been really rough, man. Hopefully they can keep finding ways to compete and grind, get through it. But they got Towson over the weekend. I would like to see them win a conference game so bad. They won two conference games last year, Jack. I want to see them open up conference play. Okay, so so let's just not like talk about what we want in life. Um, let's talk about what what do you want to see out of them to win this Towson game? Let's bring some, let's bring some okay analytical thinking. Let's bring some some what's that called? Um, analysis there we go let's bring some analysis to the table what needs let me pull to be up a little done. Towson action okay what needs to be done to beat Towson the main things that they've done this year when they've won is they limit the turnovers number one and they sort of hang in there defensively 
and on the glass. So that's kind of the main thing I'm looking for is can they limit the turnovers? Can they hang in there against a team that is typically, typically uh, pretty competitive on the glass and they're, they're pretty physical. So it's a winnable game, certainly a winnable game, but Towson rebounds the ball pretty well. They do a decent job on defense. Um, not really, but they're a horrible, horrible shooting team. Like Towson's a terrible shooting team. So like, this is a game that if you play semi-good defense, Towson is shooting 29.6% from the three-point line, you play decent defense, you should be in a position to potentially win the game. Yeah. What I think what you? I think the biggest key you said is turnovers. Uh, they had 18 total turnovers against VCU. And you just that's a game I always go back to because it was truly a tale of two halves. Like VCU looked utterly dominant in the first half, and they turned the ball over 14 times in the first half of that game. Second half, they turned the ball over four times, and that's when that comeback came. And they almost pulled it off at the end, um, but it really wasn't all that close. But they played a lot better in the second half, is my point, with yeah. four turnovers. I think against Morgan State, there was a uh, when they had the lead all second half, and near the end, when they just completely forgot how to hold on to the ball and turned it over like crazy. First half, they had, let me see, let me see, let me see. 100 turnovers. Total turnovers were 18 in the Morgan State game. I, I, Way too many. For, okay, first half box. Duh, forgot how to use one of these. And then in the first half, I mean, so nine and nine. Just a bad game, though. That, that was a terrible game. But, like, the turnovers are number one. I, I, think, I think this team, for the most part, can compete with anyone when they're limiting their turnovers. But it's just yeah. – that's, like, the biggest if in the world. That's like saying you got to hit your shots to win a game. Like, no no <laughs> crap. But, I mean, they kind of do. Like, they need to get better from the three-point line. We've talked about that a bunch. The other thing that, like, I'm kind of sick of making excuses for Jamie men's basketball and not – obviously, Byington's super new, so I understand that. Like, I've really grown tired of just being like, well, they – you know, there was Hofstra made a buzzer beater at the end of the first half, and that sent them into his tailspin for the next eight games. And uh, you know, like it was it was cold out in Northeastern, so when they got in the gym, you know, they're playing a long way from home. Like I'm just sick of like all these dumb excuses for them not winning. Towson hasn't played a basketball game since December 26th because of the coronavirus. There's no reason, Jamie, you should lose this game. They haven't. Towson's been like on these pauses. They've had a tough time. JMU has some games under their belt. They've gotten some rhythm. They have Matt Lewis, the preseason conference player of the year. Towson is one and four, having not played a game this month. Win the game. Just go into Towson and win the game. I think, so that was the hallmark of the row era, was going into these winnable games. It was Fordham after three weeks off, and he doesn't start game planning until the day before, and we lose by 40. Like, it was just so many games throughout his time where you go into it and you're like, this is a game you have to win. This is a game you should win. There were so many points near the end of the season when it was like, okay, you're playing the two worst teams in the CAA for your last four games. And you just have to win two of them to not be the last seed. And every time they would drop all four, but it was like very winnable games. This yeah. Is it too early to call it a must-win for the Byington era? Uh, I mean, I don't think it's a 
I don't think anything's a must win for them right now. In but the it's season. the kind it's the kind of game that like just win it. You know, it's like it's I wouldn't necessarily say it's a must win, but it's like for them to I guess a little bit, for them to become like relevant and have it be a decent CAA team, it's the kind of game that like you're getting a team that's off a of pause, you're playing this team that that isn't that good. They don't shoot the ball well. And you've played some games. You played what the January tenth they played the Chuan game. January fifth they played. So they played a couple of times. January third they had Morgan State. So they played three times this month. Towson hasn't played. You got a chance to win a game in an empty arena. Just do it. Just do it. Yeah. Go out there and win a game that you should win, and will be happy. Yeah, and then go into Northeastern and win both of those. All right, maybe that's a little bit of a pipe dream. Um, that is, but let's one at a time. If you can get – here's what I'll say. Here's what I'll say. If you can beat Towson and split with Northeastern, I will be over the moon, and I will be excited about the future of this team. Preferably if you, if you split by winning the first game. <laughs> For the three-game winning streak, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that. It's crazy that they haven't won – Oh, my God. Especially in this conference, you'd think they would have won three conference games in a row at some point. They didn't even win three conference games in total last season. But Okay, what was that one year? It was uh, Rose second to last season, I think. Uh, they had the buzzer-beating win over Hofstra. Not, it was a buzzer-beater get to overtime. Matt Lewis, he scored like 40. They beat Hofstra. I think they won the next game. They came home. They had like William and Mary and Elon. You win those two. You get out of the, the, the pillow fight. You get like that first round by, and they laid an egg in both of them. That's what I was talking about, like early when I was saying how like Row Era was marked by yeah. these games that like they should win. That was I'm glad you brought yes. that up because that's the exact that was what I was referencing. I just couldn't remember the exact time. Yeah, you just come off two of the biggest wins of Row's <laughs> coaching career because you went from like zero conference win at this point and like all of a sudden you in in a two week stretch you can go from the the last seed in the CAA to like I think they could have jumped all the way to like the fifth seed or something like that like if they just yeah they had an opportunity bottom feeders and they were like we're gonna play our worst games of the season and then they kept him as the head coach for another full year so and then last year they only beat UNCW Okay, um, we're getting sad over here. So is there anything else you want to add or you want to wrap this one up before we get too sad? Definitely wrap this one up because we've been rambling a little bit here about men's basketball. But the main thing, I think both of us are on the same page, very winnable game Saturday. It would be valuable and good in a step in the right direction because I'm tired. We're both tired. We're tired of the excuses. We're tired of the, it's a strange year. It's what, just win the game, take a win. Let's get the win and then go into Northeastern and try to be competitive. I couldn't have said it better myself. Those are the perfect parting words for Bennett Conlin. Thank you guys for listening to the JMU Sports News Podcast. If you haven't already, give us a follow on Twitter at jmusportsnews.com. Check us out over at our home on the web, www.jmusportsnews.com. We're on Facebook, um, same name as everything else. If you guys have any ideas for a name change, we're starting to workshop that. Slide into our DMs and let us know what you might think of a funny name or, or, or something funny or just something something better than Jamie Sports News. Um, and yeah, for Bennett Conlin, my name's Jack Fitzpatrick. You guys have a wonderful rest of your day. See ya.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.